many, uh, so many things to say at this point. I want to give a huge shout out to our amazing team who have, for the last, um, for, for the last year, have been working with us to make this day happen, to make the first official day of Urban Church. And so we're very excited about that. And I want to send a huge shout out to our friends at Riverfront Times for helping us. Uh, just get word out about about who we are, a little bit about what we're about. And if you want to know more about that, I'm, by the way, I'm Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you want to know more about that, if you want to, to to learn a little more about Urban Church, who we are, what we're about, and really just tell your story and, and let us be a part of hearing some of your story and where you've been. Uh, I will be hanging out at Kayak Coffee tonight at 7 p.m. It's on the corner of Skinker Boulevard and Forest Park Parkway. Um, if anybody wants to come out, we'd love to just get to know you and uh, have some coffee and hang out. And uh, that would be a lot of fun. So I'm going to, uh, with that, get started. Um, so I, I like to think of myself as an early adapter to some technology. I, I don't have a lot of talents or gifts, but that's one of them that I like to think that I have as I'm kind of quick to jump on bandwagons. And so in, in 2006, I was, uh, I was, I was, Facebook was still in its infancy a little bit, and, and it wasn't yet mainstream. I mean, it was only, I mean, it was, it was, it, your, your mother had not yet joined Facebook yet, so it wasn't completely uh, mainstream as it is now. And so you had to have, a, you had to be a college student in order to be on Facebook. So uh, thankfully, I was leading a group of college students at the time, and so I was able to land a .edu email address, which gave me an in. And so I, I had this cool technology, and it was great until a few years later my mother joined, and it was totally the most uncool thing in the world. But then, a little later that year, I joined uh, Twitter, and it was Twitter was brand new, it was not mainstream at all, you had no celebrities reading mean tweets at this point. Uh, back then, there were no iPhones, so... Uh, you know, if you wanted to tweet something, you had to text it. You had to send a text message to the number 40404. Does anybody remember that? Anybody use Twitter back in those days? This was a this was a, a critical time when we thought we were awesome. And there have been probably 100 to 200 social networks that have come and gone. Some of them got popular. Some of them didn't stay popular. And then came Pinterest. Pinterest came a few years ago. How many of you were early adopters of Pinterest? You, you, guys, you don't have to admit it. It's okay. For a while, Pinterest was a woman's domain. It was, it was, you know, there was nothing but recipes for salad and, um, you know, eating cardboard and things like that, making little crafts. But then, some some people began posting pictures of like man cave decor and technology. So suddenly, it was socially acceptable for guys to get on Pinterest and look and see what is the next prototype for the iWatch maybe going to look like. So we began joining those. But I wasn't alone because my nine-year-old daughter happened to discover Pinterest about the same time. We don't let her use her own thing. Her granny had showed her how to use it. She can look for things that she liked. Well, my daughter is very passionate about American Girl dolls. And so you would think that she would take this new information to her mother and say, Mom, can I use your iPad and get on and, and pin stuff? But she didn't. She used mine. 
And so, suddenly, from my name and my Pinterest account, there are pictures, and she's looking at pictures of Sage and Sage's horse and Sage's glasses and Isabel. I, the, the fact that I know who the current American girl of the year is should be surprising and alarming to several of you people. Um, and, and suddenly I'm pinning this, and it happened overnight. overnight Pinterest had gone insane. And, started, and the next thing I look at is I'm being repinned. People are repinning pictures of American girl dolls that I have no idea. I'm a 35 year old man apparently pinning things I have no business pinning. So if you got that from me, I sincerely apologize. So I say that about Pinterest. But the interesting thing that I learned about Pinterest, what I learned about it that makes it unique from other social networks, is that Pinterest doesn't care what you're doing. It doesn't care what you're thinking about. It doesn't care who you're with. It's about what you're interested in. It's all about what you're fascinated in. What, what makes you fascinated? So you can be a Chiefs fan and go on Pinterest and you can reasonably expect hundreds or thousands of memes or, or some e-cards about how awful the Rams are doing or how awful Miami is doing. I'm from Florida, please don't tell my parents. Um, but there's, there's so many things that you could, that you could, that you could find. And it's all about what you're passionate about. And there are things that make, that make this unique, but at the same time, there's something basic in us that desires to know that other people like what we like. There's something fun that we like to have. We like to claim that we're different. We like to claim that there's things that make us unique. And at the same time, there's things that we desperately need to know that we're not alone in. We need to know that other people do that. And Pinterest gives that opportunity to find that. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is walking along the sea coast. And he's, uh, he's just beginning to start teaching. And he's this radical rabbi that is beginning to teach things that are very different from what the rabbis of that time were talking about. And beginning in verse 16, it says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. Apparently Zebedee wasn't good enough to go. And, uh, and the hired servants, and followed him. And when I, I, I've, I've read that story a lot, and what I've always found interesting about that story is why they left their nets to follow this guy in the first place. What was it that called them to do it? So let's go a little deeper into the story. In ancient Hebrew tradition, young boys, young Jewish boys, were brought up interpreting and learning the law and the prophets. So for anybody who's ever gone into a hotel room and seen that Gideon's Bible that they have put there before you got there, it is that Old Testament part that you see there. And they were brought up learning this. And by the age of 12, something significant happened in their life. It was a turning point. And if they were deemed smart enough and intelligent enough and religious enough and righteous enough, 
these boys would progress to the next level, and they would begin following the yoke or teaching of a rabbi. So that would be a, they would become a disciple of that rabbi, and they would learn to interpret the law and prophets and the, and the philosophy of the way that people should live based on the rabbi that they were under. That's if they were good enough. If they weren't good enough, if they weren't smart enough, if they weren't righteous or religious or spiritual enough, they would go back to their father's trade, and they would learn the trade of their fathers. So for some, this would be woodworking. For some, this would be a blacksmithing. Some, this would be working with stones. And for some, it would be fishing, because that's what their families did. And they would get out and enjoy, enjoy this. And so Jesus comes walking along the sea. And Jesus is a rabbi, but he's not really a rabbi. He has no formal credentials. He has not been doctored. He has not been able to go underneath the teaching of another rabbi. He's not teaching anything that has been previously taught. Why? Well, likely, it's because Jesus himself had not made the cut. Jesus had gone to a certain point. We, we hear a little bit in one of the Gospels about Jesus' trip to the temple when he's 12, and then we don't hear anything about Jesus' life at all. And likely, this is because Jesus never progressed and went to that next level. Because he wasn't spiritual enough. He wasn't religious enough or righteous enough. He wasn't smart enough. So Jesus went back to his father's trade and began taking up carpentry, began working with wood. And then he decided to do something and to start something. And so when Jesus comes along the scene and he's already picking up steam and he's already getting his story out there, the word is beginning to spread in the communities of Galilee. And these men are sitting in their boats, and he calls to them, come, be my disciples. I want to show you a few things about fishing. And they leave their nets and follow him. Because this uncredentialed man connected with people who were just like him in a lot of ways. And this made an impact on them. And for, th for, for all these men who got out of the boat and who began to follow this teacher, it was a life-changing moment for them. Some of them, uh, for all of them, uh, there were probably other things in this teaching. By the way, you were probably going to die because of some of the things we're going to stand up to and some of the empires we're going to rise against and talk about. And they found it fascinating. Something in this man's story connected with these people. And so they got out and they began following him. And anyone who has ever done something outside of your family tradition knows what this feels like. There's probably something to the fact that Zebedee, the father of two of these fishermen, was still in the boat. Because anytime somebody decides to do something that's different from the way it's always been done, you know what it feels like to be out there alone. For anyone who has ever converted to another religion outside of the religion that they were brought up with in their family, they know what this feels like. If you've ever brought a relationship home and your family and friends didn't approve of it, you knew about it really quickly. And you felt this way. You felt this alienation. And it's painful. 
And I don't know anyone, I don't know anyone, I don't care what your story is, that wants to risk alienation from their family and friends, no matter what you do. See, we're unique. Every single one of us in this room is unique. For some of you, you are athletic and you have ability to do things uh, with, with your body and you have things to do, things with weights that other people can't do, that I cannot do. I have the worst hand-eye coordination. Not to mention physical ability to do just about anything on the planet. And then some of you are artists and you see the world through these artistic lenses and, and, and maybe you're a little bit left of center in the way that you do things and you're always thinking of, of ways that, yeah, that's great, but it was a little boring, so there's ways that we can make that better. And you have abilities to do that. And some of you are very successful business people and you understand there are formulas that if you do this and you do that and if you do it in this way, you can virtually guarantee success. There are formulas to that and you understand how those things work. They're, they're, they're natural laws that guide the way that people do things. And so those things shape your worldview. They shape the way that you think about the world. They shape the way you think about your life. And they make you you. They make you unique. We all have that, that make us individual. And at the same time, we desperately crave to be part of a community. We desperately crave to be part of a family, to be part of something bigger than us. See, it turns out that the biggest fear of humanity is not dying. The biggest fear of humanity is dying alone. We all crave to be part of something bigger. We're wired that way. We are pack animals. And so whether we're extroverts or whether we're introverts, we're desperate to be close to people who get us, who understand us. And if we don't find that in our families, oftentimes we'll find that in groups of friends and find that in groups of people that maybe you're even online and aren't, and aren't close by because we seek out those people who are like us. And here's what we know. We don't have to die. We don't have to live alone. We don't have to be alone. We are created and we're built for relationships with other human beings. And at our core, the reason that we decided to start a new church in the middle of St. Louis and to start a church for the rest of us is because we feel like there's a lot of people who resonate with that resonate with this feeling that maybe we don't belong in some of these other churches that are there. Maybe we don't dress right, or maybe we don't have the right appearance, or maybe have the right friends, or something with the way that we live that just doesn't fly with people sometimes. And we decided that there's, there's a need for that. And we decided to, to, to put this here because people because people need that community. It's something that's bigger than them. So one of the biggest things that excites me, and I've had people ask me in the last couple of weeks as they knew when we were getting ready to start, you know, what is it that keeps you going? What is it, why is it that you wanted to start a church? And this is what excites me. The fact that there are people in this room, and there can be people in this room over the next few weeks and months, that their future husband or wife or their future best friend is somewhere in this room. And that fascinates me. That is exciting to me. That makes that just makes me really, really excited. 
And for some of you, that next person who gets you is right here. And so people may wonder, you know, how do, how do we get involved in that? How do we start to build some friendships with others? And so there's, there's two ways that I really want to close this out with today. One, we have, uh, we have as, as Matt talked about earlier, we have groups that are going to be starting. These are just groups of small groups of friends that are meeting in houses and coffee houses and at shopping malls. And no matter what you want to do, our philosophy is just include people. And that is, uh, that is forming right now. If you're at all interested in that, just on that connection card that you received on your way in, just check that box that says join a group. We would love to talk to you and get, and, and get that. And, and, and those will be starting in October. And we'll be contacting you between now and then to, to find out what is going to be that group that's perfect for you. The second thing is come join us tonight. There will be a few of us hanging out at Kayak Coffee tonight. Just hanging out, drinking coffee, swapping stories, and we'd love to hear yours. We'd love to hear you add it to that mix and get to know you a little bit better. And that's tonight at 7 o'clock uh, on the corner of Skinker Boulevard and Forest Park Parkway. I want to invite you to come out. We'd love to see you for that. 